Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It is August in the year 2022, and somehow we are still dealing with a global pandemic, let alone the fact that monkeypox is now a thing. We're going to talk about it today. You probably heard last week that the CDC changed their COVID guidelines. School is also starting back up across the country. So we thought now would be a great time to check in with Dr. Emily Landon. We like to call her Nerdette's resident epidemiologist, but her real job is that she is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. Emily, welcome back. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) Thrilled to have you. Okay, so obviously we have a lot of COVID questions. Wait, wait, wait. Greta, how can you have COVID questions? <laughs> it's over. It's like even more over than it was the last time we talked about it. <laughs> I'm I'm picking up on a little bit of sarcasm from you, Emily. That was all sarcasm. <laughs> okay, but but I do think we should start with monkeypox because yeah. the U.S. is officially calling this a federal public health emergency. I have a friend who texted me last week. He's got it. It sounds horrific. Uh, this is something that is largely affecting gay men and queer folks. So as always, you know, we asked listeners if they had questions for you. And one of the people we heard from is Hannah. Let's take a listen to their message. I am dying to pop my You Know What to Beyonce's new album. But I'm a bit nervous reading that monkeypox can be transmitted through aerosols like COVID and through possible skin-to-skin contact. And I guess I'm hung up on both of those because... I'm not sure if I should be, for example, as worried about monkeypox transmission as COVID in a crowded nightclub context. And what does skin-to-skin contact exactly mean? Like, when I bumped into sweaty teens on the train a couple weeks ago going to Lollapalooza, could I have gotten monkeypox from them? And for some more context, were I to go to a nightclub, I am all wifed up, so I don't expect to be seeking smooches. Where does that leave my risk factor? Ah, oh, Hannah, you have all the right questions. So <laughs> this is this is so good. So listen, here's the deal. Um, monkeypox doesn't spread as easily as COVID. And for those who didn't know, all infectious diseases are different in the way that they spread and they have different things that they take advantage of. So we can't just apply what we know about COVID to monkeypox. So don't, don't cut, if you catch yourself doing that, don't do that. Monkeypox can spread in lots of different ways. So can COVID. But um, the way that it most often spreads is different. So really, when we talk about skin-to-skin contact, I mean, you need to have close skin-to-skin contact with lesions of monkeypox. So if you don't have any skin-to-skin contact with someone, you're not likely to have skin-to-skin contact with lesions. So that's sort of the easiest thing. Avoid unnecessary skin-to-skin contact. That literally means that maybe bring like a 
like a gauzy shirt that you wear mm. that you put on when you're on the train or whatever. And then, you know, you don't worry, but, but I think there's some difficulty like at a festival and it's summer and at a nightclub, I think you know, there's a lot of skin showing. So here's, let's, let's break it down. Then there's sort of like gradations of risk with any skin to skin contact, right? Mm-hmm. So just intact, your intact skin versus somebody else's intact skin is not going to result in a transmission of monkeypox in a short period of time. Just definitely not. It's not going to happen even in a long period of time. You know, that's not going to happen. Um, your intact skin up next to an unbroken lesion of monkeypox, that could that could definitely result in some transmission, but you're much more likely to see transmission if that monkeypox has broken open or if there's maybe cuts in your skin or if you're kissing someone or sharing, you know, sharing spit with people mm-hmm. that have, you know, sharing drinks, sharing, mm. you know, towels, sharing Ooh. sheets, those sorts of things. Cause you can get it from like, if, the, if there are lesions like sort of leaked on something, then it can get on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's gross. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Bottom line is don't share drinks and towels and sheets and stuff like that. Like, unless you know the person doesn't have monkey box and maybe you want to do like a visual inspection and be like, okay, before we have sex, you're going to need to stand there and I'm going to check you for lesions. <laughs> not very romantic. You know, what else kills the mood is lesions. Yeah. I'm not here to give romantic advice. So, you know, <laughs> there, there's like 600, 700 people in Chicago that have monkey box, maybe more than that because we mm. haven't caught everybody, but we're not talking about nearly as many people as have uh COVID, right? So mm-hmm. that crowded train, you're much more likely to get COVID on that train than monkeypox, even if you're bashed up against other people. If you're immunocompromised or worried about this, or you've got eczema or atopic dermatitis, that can make monkeypox worse if you get it. Mm-hmm. You might want to take extra care and avoid unnecessary skin-to-skin contact. But to be honest with you, people in committed relationships that aren't going to be sharing, you know, seeking smooches mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, having close physical contact with other people are probably going to be in okay situation. And most of the monkeypox patients that are spreading have like one lesion that hasn't really been diagnosed properly. And as we make better diagnoses and as we're able to get vaccination out to the people that are more at risk for monkeypox, you're going to see hopefully the situation get under better control because there just aren't a lot of sort of culturally in the United States, the way that we are, we don't have a ton of skin to skin contact stuff that we do besides intimacy, right? Maybe wrestling. Um, That nightclub situation, I don't think, I think it may be slightly higher risk if you're, and and I, this is not, this is going to sound horrible because I'm going to say, if you're going to a, a club that's frequented by men who have sex with men, there are there's more likely to be somebody with monkeypox in that crowd than at a different yeah. nightclub right but that doesn't mean that it's because they're gay or because, you know if that's yeah. not what it's about and that could change so you know we had to we got to keep our eye open for that but i think you got to manage your risks so you mentioned at this point with monkeypox at least this is something that's largely affecting especially gay men also queer folks I'm curious how you think public health officials can balance providing care for the queer community with making sure that this isn't, you know, stigmatizing people. Ooh, that's a great question. And we as a country have historically Mm -hmm. done a pretty bad job of that. So we really have nothing good to look back on to help us figure out how to do it. And I would say we're doing slightly better, um, but still not awesome. (laughs) 
it's really hard to get the message out. So here's here's the number one problem, Greta. Monkeypox can spread in any community where it has like sort of it takes advantage of certain behaviors that we have. Mm. And if it gets into a community that has those behaviors and that behavior is really basically just skin to skin contact. Mm. So in places where you have that close skin to skin contact, if it gets into that community, it's going to circulate in that community unless you stop the skin to skin contact. And it turns out that it's just started in the sort of men who have sex with men community. And as most people know, it's hard to have sex without having close skin to skin contact. So you can see why it can end up looking like a problem of gay men and an STD, but it's not. Hmm. But at the same time, public health has to get the message out to the people that are at the highest risk. And the people that are at the highest risk are the people in that community. So it can sort of seem like, you know, don't worry if you're not having sex with men, you know, if you're not men having sex with men, you're totally good. That's not 100% true, but it is, you know, right now, those are the individuals who are having the greatest risk because they're the ones that are having the contact where in which it's spreading. And there is a monkeypox vaccine, right? Yeah, there is. but There's not enough of it. So yeah, who should be getting that right now? Currently, the only people that are really offered it at all are people, men who have sex with men who have a lot of partners and or those, especially those that have low immune systems, people who work in sex. So people who trade sex for money or drugs or any other goods or services are high risk and should definitely get monkeypox vaccination. And then people who've had a known close contact. So that's the other thing. If you know that you had really close contact, and that is not like just hugging somebody at a bar, like the rules for healthcare workers are that you need to have skin to skin contact with the lesions in order to be counted as high risk. And, or you have to spend, and this respiratory transmission thing, you need to spend three hours with someone in order to get enough or share drinks or kiss them or something like that. So we're not, this is not like COVID. You can certainly get it, if you were really, really, you know, nose to nose shouting at one another in a bar, I suppose you could possibly get it. But most people in that situation are not going to get monkeypox. Okay. Something to know, most the household contacts, the non-intimate household contacts of Chicagoans that have tested positive for monkeypox have not gotten monkeypox. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's, that should give you some sort of a context that like public toilets are fine. I mean, I wouldn't sit on one that looks gooey. Emily. I have an infectious disease, Doc. This is like how it works. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, in general, I would say that's a good, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. More with Dr. Emily Landon in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, let's switch gears to COVID, which is super over, as you know. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we should start with this voicemail from Liz because I think she sets the scene very hopefully. I am really glad that the resident epidemiologist is back because let's be honest, I my mind is so mush and on overload about COVID and 
how many years we're on it now and what am I what am I doing like where do I need to put my mental worrying energy um, and what what things do I need to do too like as a teacher and as a parent or should I be doing because let's be honest like I am like triaging my own mental state at the moment and I I can't even process so I would just love for you to tell me what I should be doing thanks hi Liz I'm so sorry <laughs> um okay yeah this is about as clear as mud for everybody right now I've been advising people and this is kind of the standard that I'm using if you're in charge of something right you should make it so that people who want to avoid getting COVID can avoid getting COVID that's sort of like the, the bottom standard, right? There's a lot of people out there who are perfectly healthy, who've been vaccinated or had COVID before, who are highly likely to just have a mild respiratory infection like a cold. But there's a whole nother chunk of the American population. It's a big chunk who are, you know, myself included, who might not have just a plain little cold, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, who are at high risk for bad outcomes and whose vaccines are wearing off and who might not realize how important it is, especially older individuals, to get all of those boosters that are recommended. And now the, the government's like holding off on a summer recommendation in hopes that they'll be able to get everybody to get another booster before the holidays. I don't even understand that plan. Mm. So I think, and then CDC comes out with this guidance where the top line is like, everybody's fine, don't worry about this. And then you read all the footnotes and all the like small print. It's yeah. like, except for every situation that you could possibly be in. And in those situations, you should be wearing a mask and being really careful. We should be testing everyone. And you're like, wait a second, that's like everywhere. Yeah. So I, I think it is, it's really confusing. And, and I think the best way to handle this is make it possible for people who want to avoid getting COVID to avoid getting COVID. All the high-risk people out there that are really high-risk, they know that they need to avoid getting COVID and they're super frustrated about not being able to. And then everybody else is like, how much do I need to worry about this? And this is where it's a little confusing, Liz, because the um, the answer is long COVID is very real. We don't really know how often people get it. We have a better idea though. So after you've been fully vaccinated, it looks like the likelihood of ending up with long-term symptoms that last longer than a few weeks after getting a mild COVID case mm-hmm. is probably on the order of about 15%. That's really high. Mm-hmm. By six months, that goes down to maybe 1%. So by six months out, most people, almost everyone is feeling better. I'm still really worried that a lot of people are getting COVID multiple times. And if your chances of getting long COVID are 15% each time, 1% of a gigantic number, as we learned with Omicron, is still a really big number of people that have ongoing symptoms and problems that are literally disabling them. So I think there are good reasons to avoid getting COVID. And here's how I would approach it for those people who are looking for some guidance. I think your best bet is to, if you're going to get COVID, it should be worth it that you got COVID. If it's not hard to follow things like wearing a mask and keeping some distance or, or keeping some distance, I would say, then do that. Like at the grocery store, who cares if you're wearing a mask right, at the grocery store? Right. So just make the default to wear a mask and to keep some distance unless cases are really low in your area. And then if you really want to go to your best friend's wedding and she really doesn't want people to wear masks, then go to the wedding. Like just, and if you end up with COVID, that'll be your time. Everybody's probably going to end up with COVID once in a while. It's just that you want to keep that limited. As a teacher, 
your best bet, keep hands clean in the classroom. If there's a high-risk student in your class, CDC says that you should not take that kid out of the class and you need to do everything you can to make sure that kid can stay in that class. And that probably means, and they say this, that the class needs to wear masks when they're in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And that is um, something you should talk about with your school. I don't know why so many schools are not heeding that warning because it's no different than a peanut-free classroom or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. You know? and, and so I think, I think you have to navigate that with your school, but you can, at the very least, if you know you've got a high-risk kid, you can encourage everybody to wear a mask. You can set an example by wearing a mask, but you can also take it off some of the time. You can take it off when you're outside. You can take it off at lunch. You right. can take it off during your breaks. You know, just model what you want the kids to do. And I would say classrooms probably should have masks on unless you've got really low spread in your area. Mm -hmm. I like what you're saying about the idea of like making it worth it though. Cause yeah, I mean, I would much rather say I got COVID at like a very important, like memorable once in a lifetime event than like, because I needed to buy toilet paper or whatever, you know? Right. Or because I just wanted to get a drink with friends that night and mm -hmm. I decided to sit inside instead of outside. Mm -hmm. Like that's not worth it. So yeah, we've sort of like hinted at changing CDC guidelines. Uh, unvaccinated folks are no longer required to quarantine after being exposed to COVID. Um, they also still said that COVID is here to stay. I mean, it's all super confusing. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm feeling like the headlines about the guidance are not the guidance. Hmm. And that's, I think, something that people are missing. So the, the guidance... The headlines about the guidance are basically like, who cares? Throw a throw caution to the wind. Mm -hmm. And that, that's not what they say. They say that people who are unvaccinated are, aren't really at any greater risk than people who are vaccinated for getting a breakthrough infection. So why are we making them stay home? Instead, everyone who's been exposed needs to wear a mask and get tested. Mm -hmm. But you don't hear that in the guidance, right. like in the news. They just say you no longer have to stay home. And I think you know, they still say you have to stay home if you have COVID. They still say you have to get tested if you have symptoms of COVID. Mm -hmm. They still say that you need to, you know, be really careful if you're high risk. And when it's when transmission's high or even moderate, you should probably be wearing a mask in most public places. That's what and the schools and other places need to do everything they can to make it easy for people that are high risk to avoid getting COVID. And that's not what the media is saying they're saying no more tests to stay no more mm -hmm. but they're not saying what we're keeping so we got a question in an email from nerdette listener megan who said i was so excited for my toddler to get vaccinated recently and resume some sort of normality but i also have an unvaccinated newborn and this new variant is spreading like wildfire do we still need to be super cautious when out and about without the baby? What's the likelihood of us vaccinated family members bringing home COVID to the newborn? It's really likely that you're going to bring COVID home to the newborn if you're not taking precautions outside the house. Okay. Your, your newborn is in the same position that people like me are in, except mm -hmm. worse because I can get Evusheld and, you know, that's the preventive oh, um, right. antibody. But like not, but the baby, the newborn cannot. And so, you know, you're stuck in this horrible purgatory, this ableist, you know, yeah. strange situation that has been created by the way that most of the guidelines have been interpreted. The guidelines have been interpreted as though the freedom to not wear a mask is greater than the freedom to avoid getting COVID. And we've got to swing that back around. 
around because it's just, I, I think at some point people are going to get sick of getting COVID and get sick of having it be in the way of stuff. We're never going to be able to just ignore COVID right. and not stay at home if you're sick and, because too many people are too sick with it. Yeah, It's just this dichotomy and all the people who aren't getting so sick just making the rest of the people into hermits and people like you with the newborn need to make as much noise as possible Mm. at your like wear a mask and go to your town meeting and say I'm sick of this I want to be able to go to the grocery store even though I have a baby I should not be locked in my house just because I have a newborn this is absurd yeah yeah um, okay, so we got a voicemail about the COVID vaccine. This is Kim from San Diego. When the mRNA vaccines were first developed for COVID, the technology was touted as being easily adaptable for viral variations. So why aren't we seeing new vaccines brought to market for the widespread BA4 and BA5 variants? Thanks. A wonderful question. Mm-hmm. The answer is a little bit complicated. Mm. First, the vaccines can be changed much faster than our approval system. (laughs) Our approval system is extremely robust and extremely careful, and it requires a lot of testing for anything to be, um, to be changed. And, uh, you know, flu vaccines have to be tested sort of, they do a more modified testing because they sort of approve the process, but we don't have that for messenger RNA vaccines. And so they have to sort of redo the safety testing every single time they make any change. So that our own requirement for safety is, is hanging us up a little bit. Hmm. But then there's also the question about whether they're going to be as effective or whether they're going to help. And this is really in the weeds from an immunologic standpoint. Okay. There's a thing called, um, well, it's called a lot of different things, but it's sort of like this, this idea for the original antigenic preference, which means that sometimes what happens when you get like a new, when you've already been exposed to the Wuhan variant through the vaccine, when you get another variant later on, your body responds to the variant that you get, but it mostly makes a ton of antibodies and, and sort of amplifies what you got originally anyway. And that is a problem with influenza, might be a problem with COVID. It might be the reason why people who get um, Omicron aren't really providing themselves with a ton of immunity to Omicron. Right. <laughs> so there are Omicron-specific vaccines in progress, and BA5 ones, but it's not clear that they're providing enough of a bump in immunity to really be worth it because they seem to be less immunogenic than the original one, or maybe there's just this original antigenic preference. And someone who's a detailed vaccinologist and and immunologist is going to know a lot more about this than I do. And I'm simplifying dramatically here. The point being that using vaccines that have new spike protein may not work as well as we thought they were going to for a variety of complex reasons. Thanks COVID for being confusing. Right. Um, but also it's a little bit harder to get them approved than anybody wanted them to be. But so you need to make sure that they're worth it. Interesting. And, and that's, um, so it's a little bit more complicated, but we're, they're looking to have one that's got some Omicron in it for the fall. That's, mm-hmm. I think why they've held off on making a recommendation. I would be due for a fifth shot if they were stayed on their cycle of every six months. And I'm more than six months out from my fourth shot um, as an immunocompromised human. And so, and I, there are a lot of people in my, in my same boat and they ask me a lot, what do I do? 
And I think um, you should get Evu Sheld. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what about people who, like in my case, I still, I've only gotten one booster. It was in December. You know, I got COVID in March. Um, I think last time we talked, your advice was wait for fall, like essentially wait for flu season. And that's when recommendations for a booster for people who are, you know, under 55 and not immunocompromised will need another booster. That's what it looks like is the case. Um, But also anybody who's had COVID can count their COVID as a booster. Okay. It's certainly as good as a booster. That's There's been some studies that have shown that having a round of COVID is similar to getting a booster. So I think high risk, I, I still think that high risk individuals probably need to be on an every six month cycle mm-hmm. and others, maybe it's okay for them to be on an every year cycle because the vaccine no longer is really providing much protection from initial infection. It's really providing mostly only protection from hospitalization. Interesting. So do you have a sense of what flu season is going to look like this year? I feel like that has shifted so much during the pandemic, too. You know what I can't figure out is what we're going to see in terms of public health recommendations. I I am eternally optimistic that part of the reason that they are letting these waves come over the summer and the CDC is not asking people, you know, they're saying the recommendation is if it's high, then you should wear a mask, but they're not pushing anybody to do that. And they're not encouraging, they're, you know, they're encouraging people to wear masks, but they're not pushing public health agencies to really get that mask mandate in place. I think the, I'm hoping that the reasoning is because they want people, I, I'm not saying I agree with this reasoning, but I have in the back of my mind, I could see maybe that they think that we're going to give people a break while the weather is better because it's definitely lower risk. And then we're going to push hard for more non-pharmacologic interventions in the winter, or at least they're concerned that they may need them more if there's a new variant or something like that. And so they don't want to overuse them now and not be able to call on them in the winter. Um, and that, that is, I, that's partly about flu, but mostly about COVID. Um, I think the flu season is going to be, you know, it's, like every year flu season, it could be worse. It could be better since we haven't had big flu seasons the last couple of years, probably we're in for a more significant one um, because there's less sort of cached or held immunity mm-hmm. in the population, recent immunity anyway. Um, I'd get your flu shot, but again, flu shots are, are, are not the most effective, but it's, it's really, really important that we not throw the baby out with the bathwater on these yeah. things just because it's not a hundred percent perfect effective doesn't mean that you shouldn't get it. And then, you know, that's, that's like, I hear that argument for masks all the time. Like, well, they're not perfect. So why would I wear one? And I'm like, well, because they're better than not. Yeah. Wearing one. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's still an improvement and that's important. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really, it's a huge improvement too. So I think, I think um, you should really wait for that recommendation. Most people are probably going to be recommended to get a booster before winter. Healthcare can't, handle what we saw last year. Yeah. Yeah. So let's wrap with a question from Mel26. There are three M's, which is why I paused on the M there, uh, who on Instagram asked, have we really made it to the endemic phase of COVID? Is it just the flu now? So I think some people hear the word endemic and they think that we're saying endemic. (laughs) And um, that's not it. It means endemic, which means in the people. It just Mm. means it's here all the time. And I think some people think that endemic means that we don't have to worry about it anymore, but endemic kind of to me implies that you kind of know what's 
going on. You know what you need to do and you know when it's a problem and you know when it's not a problem and you know how to take care of yourself at those times. And I don't think we really have that yet because there's too many variables. Yeah. We don't really know when healthy people's vaccines are going to wear off, so to speak, for the long, if they're going to ever wear off in terms of long-term protection. We don't really know why some people get long COVID and other people don't. We don't really know what to expect in terms of the next variant. I know what to do for flu. I know how to handle flu. I know what's going to work, what's not going to work, when it's going to come, when it's going to leave, you know. I don't really, I still don't feel like I'm, I'm comfortable with that, with uh, COVID. So I would say uh, that we're not quite at endemicity. And even if we were, it's not going to make you feel better. <laughs> well, what a pleasant note to end on. <laughs> um, well, thank you. I mean, you did help provide a lot of clarity as always, which is much appreciated. Clear as mud. Well, I mean, clear as mud, but also like, you know, I think so. I, I think Liz really summed it up nicely with like, we're getting so little guidance from leaders on so many different fronts that I know, you know, over the past two years, I have often just turned to your guidance and I imagine a lot of listeners are too. So I appreciate it, you know. Well, I'm happy to help provide guidance. Sometimes <laughs> it helps to just know what we don't know yeah, and be honest yeah. about it. Yeah, exactly. that's it for today thank you very much as always for listening along we have a newsletter i think it's pretty great you would probably like it it comes out every friday morning we have updates on our most recent episodes and links to stuff that anna and i are super into you can find that and sign up for it if you go to wbez.org slash that newsletter is built every week by the delightful Maggie Civet. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman, and our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. We will see you on Friday. Ooh, gooey. Not a word I wanted to hear today. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.